Hello everyone. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Halloween, the most spooky time. We've got a new guest with us this week. Um, it is the lovely Justin Crane. Hello. Hello. Never been described as lovely before, but I'll take it. <laughs> All our guests are lovely. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and also uh, Chris is here. Hello. He's got he's a, a microphone. He's a lovely guest as well. He's a, a well, lovely, lovely, a lovely housemate. Housemate? <laughs> <laughs> Deary me. Sorry. And yes, Halloween, we thought we'd do some spooky stories uh, about Cambridge. So that's what we're going to talk about today, um, the ghostly goings-on of Cambridge Town. But first, let's have our first drink. Chris, would you like to explain what's happening here? Yes, I've um, I've bought a drink to the party, which is uh, something of a, yeah, I'm normally just a, a freeloader when it comes to drinking, but then I'm working hard operating you are, computers and listening on headphones and things. These are some bottles of Titanic Brewery Plum Porter, which were on special offer when I was in the supermarket this morning, so mm. therefore it seemed apt for this evening. And are they spooky? Not really, apart from the fact that the Titanic is no longer with us. And they're quite dark coloured. That's, yeah. you know, spooky and halloween Plums are kind of... Spooky. <laughs> Horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Squidgy and red, like like bodies and blood. As it does yeah, say on the label, red. Fruity. Yeah. And red and yeah. deep. But I think that the drinks later are going to have a bit more relevance because... Yeah, I mean, this was an afterthought. But now we have it first. Like the afterlife. Exactly. There we go. Okay. Well, now, well, I think what we're going to do today is that um, I have a story about a particularly haunted house in Cambridge, but I think Jazz has some shorter stories for us, so we may start with one of those. And you are something of an expert about I, Cambridge ghosts. I am not. <laughs> I am not. I am uh, fascinated, as we all are, within this room, I should say, without casting expectations on other people, but fascinated with the uh, horrors of life. Yes, indeed. And the, uh, the afterlife, should I say, and, and the possibilities of, of things that go bump in the night. And um, through a old job of mine uh, where I looked after international students, I decided to embark on ghost tours mm. and uh, knew that the students themselves wouldn't want to pay for them. So I learned all the things around about Cambridge and, and started delivering them myself, mainly in the fact that I knew they really wouldn't care about content <laughs> as such. Correct as facts. The, fi- the, final de- the finer details of life, dates and stuff and that. And I, I could just be about the story. Yeah. And, and that's what I like. I like the story. I don't care about the details because what, what did we say earlier? <laughs> they're not They're not real. <laughs> they're not. The chances are they're not real. They're probably not real. So, yeah. I was going to say, I was going to ask, when you say like a fascination, are you hoping it's you know, no, 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 like, no, okay, no, fine, no. good. We're all on the same page. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah no, I, th- I think they're absolutely fascinating and, yeah. and, and incredible, like you know, imaginations going on, and uh, and I love to be scared, but <laughs> deep down, at the same time, you're a rational human being. <laughs> yeah, but you say that I sometimes have a wonder Do about you? ghost sightings, but, but I don't. Not, not in the. You don't imagine they're the spectre of dead people, though, do you? No. 
because I don't believe in an afterlife. So there can't be ghosts if there's no afterlife. But I wonder about some kind of something. I don't know what. I'm sure there'll be a scientific explanation for it one day. I think it's something about the brain. Oscillations of the eyeball. Something, oh, right. I remember reading something about somebody who was experiencing visions and it was something to do with an air conditioning unit in the building that they worked <laughs> in that was broken mm. and was vibrating at a very low frequency which was in tune with the frequency of the eyeball or something and was causing uh, visual interference. Wow. So... That's but my <laughs> but it's it is strange when you have people that know nothing about the history of a place that will say they've seen the same thing as someone else because I know, I think you can be suggested into something but you get accounts that back each other up. There's also forgetfulness <laughs> about things. An example of this, and this is this is going into fiction now, but I was I was telling my wife about this earlier this week, in fact, but when I was 12 or 13, I was raised by my parents, or by my dad anyway, to love horror. He would used to record horror films for me and, and go, oh, I recorded a new one for you last night, watch this. You at know, a very young age? At, from five or six okay. years old, I'd be watching Hammer Horror movies. Okay. I remember on my seventh birthday, I received a, a package uh, from my parents and it said to Justin from Justin and I opened it up and they said oh we saved some of your pocket money in this review and it was a book on horror films and just <laughs> I still got it I love looking at all the pictures it's a big coffee table style book that just absorbed me into that yeah those are um, but my parents went away um, I say went away they went out for the evening when I was 12 <laughs> And uh, you were okay to be left alone for when you're 12 back in those days? I'm probably incriminating them right now. I used to um, sometimes just refuse to leave the house and my mum had to just leave me. There you go. And uh, they took me to the video shop beforehand, rent some movies. I rented the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because why wouldn't you? Oh, that's horrible for a 12-year-old though. Oh, yeah, no, totally. That one (laughs) was scary. Was that that legally even available on video? I've got no idea. Our video shop had it. A grainy copy. We had it. And we got, I got to the end of watching it and the very end scene where she's running down yeah. the track, the truck comes along, gets her and all that. And when she was running down the track and the truck came on, I was like, oh, I know this. And I've never seen it before. I was like, I know this. And then this is going to happen. And then he's going to get hit by the truck and he's going to go under the wheels. And then, and I really started freaking myself out because I had I knew everything that was going to happen. And then he's going to start spinning around at the end. <laughs> And it while she's screaming in the back of the truck as it drives away. And for two, three years, absolutely still freaked me out just yeah. thinking about it. I can't watch that movie. I don't know why I, I know this. In fact, I remember actually when I watched it, I stopped the video and went outside into the garden and just sat there for a while by myself as a 12-year-old. <laughs> but what it turned out to be is my dumbass forgetfulness <laughs> is that there is a comedy movie out there called Summer School, uh, which is an old 80s comedy set in a summer yeah. school and in that movie they watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh! and they play the end of it and which is where I got it all uh, from but I, I don't know how that ties into things but be, well, no, people it's forgetting just, I about think it's, where um, they are or... I remember when I was young and I, I don't know if it's the first time it's happened but I remember having deja vu and having like a moment of deja vu yeah. and at, like absolutely freaking out and becoming convinced that it was some kind of supernatural event that was happening. And my mum tried to explain to me, she was like, no, it just sometimes happens that you get this weird feeling. I was like, no, it means that I've, you know, had a vision or I'm psychic or something awful. Ah. So I think sometimes just your brain processes things I wish I could, I could have had that relationship with my mum. Uh, <laughs> but if I had told her that this had happened, 
then I would never be allowed to watch a horror <laughs> movie again. So I had to keep it to myself for ages. You can you watch down deep inside. Yeah, absolutely. You watched horror films, didn't you? Well, same same as you. My dad is a massive horror fan. To this day, whenever we speak, pretty much the main thing we talk about is what shit films he's taped off the horror. Yeah, he's usually week. got a list, <laughs> and he Amazing. likes to go through the list and see what we've seen. Amazing. But I wasn't. I mean, he like you know like the classics of the kind of like sixties and seventies, I guess, and like Hammer stuff as well. So I, I wasn't watching video nasty type stuff in the eighties, and we didn't have a video actually. So um, okay, excellent. So, you can tell us a starting tale if you like. Oh, can I? Yeah, start um, us a, a spooky Halloween story. This isn't necessarily a ghost story, but I'm going to start with my favourite curiosity of Cambridge mm-hmm. that I like. And I was really pleased you didn't mention this in your, your previous one. But this is about Clare College. And I had to Google the name earlier. Uh, not of Clare College, but of the person involved. And I don't know the dates, I don't know the exact details, but I just love this story and the fact... There was a fellow of Clare College called uh, Dr. Green, and uh, Dr. Green died, okay? As we all do. We we all must. He passed away in the ethereal form, (laughs) (laughs) moving on to the other (laughs) one. Um, And when he died, there was a bit of controversy about his estate. Uh And his estate was in such that he had a very, very large endowment Uh to leave to people. He also had a very important library collection uh, that that was worth quite a few pennies. And uh, he gifted his library collection and uh, a lot of his money to Clare College on the one proviso that they took his body and they stripped away all the flesh and the skin... Uh, leaving only the skeleton form. Excellent. Um, and displayed it within the library his books were going to be in. Ah. And this apparently went through a lengthy period of people deciding, like, should we do yeah, it? Yeah, can we know. do it? We really want those books. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, eventually, I think this went over several years, and eventually they relented and they said, yes, we'll do it. So they they took his body I don't think they had to strip much away no. at that time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they, they, they did display his skeleton within Clare College Library ah. uh, to do that. And it was there for several years. It's not there anymore. And it's not there because they just thought, this is really weird. A bit <laughs> like, macabre. Uh, yeah, we've got the books. We've got the money. <laughs> he screw won't old, know. Screw old Dr. Green. <laughs> uh, the reason he's not there anymore is because there's not enough of him to display. And this is because the students of Clare College... <laughs> decided those pesky students took it upon themselves as a good luck charm to any uh, exams they went to to snap a little take bit, a bit. Stay, snap a little bit of dr <laughs> green off and uh, and take it with them as we go so, so over the years he his so remains he, yeah, got smaller and smaller yeah, and smaller which which begs the question you know originally you can snap a finger or a toe <laughs> yeah. you know and put it in your pocket and stuff but eventually you're going to end up with a femur on Yeah, your you're just smashing <laughs> smashing off a bit of yeah. skull. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard that. I wonder if that means that then all around the country there are Clare College alumni or ancestors with like tiny bits of bone. He's haunting a lot. In there. I was going to say, <laughs> he's got a wide reach of haunting going on. I feel like I'd quite like to make that sort of demand when I die. <laughs> what, I have mean, you, what have you got that people really want? Well, that's want the trouble. That I don't think that you can make those kinds of demands. I don't have much to bargain with. I think that, <laughs> I that's think. the problem, isn't it? There's not enough demand in death anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's what's wrong with this country. <laughs> Presumably, if you write something into your will, that is a legally binding document. No, because it no? doesn't. Not. I think there's there's laws about the human remains, aren't there? You can't like if you died, I can't just put you in the garden. No, no, sure, that's true. Now the thing is with these stories, then I just want to know more. You know, oh, like I want to go and look for pictures and yeah, yeah, all sorts totally, of. Um... Totally. But it's it's definitely one of my favourite of the whole ghosts and the ideas. Yeah. 
of the weird things within Cambridge life. Oh, I've got to, I've got to mention as well, listening to the last podcast, you talked about, was it Dr. Butts? Yeah. Dr. Butts <laughs> from uh, Corpus Christi. Yes. Hung and himself by his garters. He did hung himself. Yeah. And I, I know that apparently there's more to that story. Oh, is and there? And whether it's more that people have added to it and not made sense. Because yeah. you were talking about the plague yeah. and, and all that, which is all legitimate. In everything I've read, is always legitimate. He was there for the plague. Yeah. He was a good guy. Yeah. He, he seems bit, like he was a good guy. He was just a bit misunderstood, <laughs> you know. Having a difficult that. time. I think so. But I also heard that basically further a few years down the line, uh, before he ended it himself, the king was visiting Cambridge and contacted mm. Dr. Butts and told Dr. Butts to perform a play or to put on a play really? for him to entertain him while he and was And I in think Cambridge. it was Charles II. Possibly. I'm only time. saying that because I do remember something about a king's visit and I was like, oh, this bit sounds boring. Oh, right. I'm getting to the ghost bit. <laughs> but now it sounds like, actually, I should not have so quickly glossed over. Uh, well, no. Um, uh, what kind of play? I don't know the exact play. A pl- like a plague play? No, I think I think I, I'm imagining something something like Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> something like Hamlet. It's got a skill in it. But yes, I would make have made him perform a play of plague victims. So the death throes. <laughs> oh, the torment. Charles II probably would have liked that. So he put on this play, yeah. and apparently he's like, I don't know what to do. So, but he got. He did, hadn't had any guidance. He didn't have any guidance. <laughs> or for? presumably any theatrical training. There were no, there were no uh, keynotes in the in the Shakespeare script. <laughs> any, any guidance whatsoever. So he got some people together, put on a play. The king hated it. Oh no! Uh, and ridiculed him even more, which sent no. him sent him in uh, after being ridiculed yes. for the play. Sentiment, uh, anything. Then he came up. Oh, it goes on. Oh, Dr. Dr. Butts, his torments were even worse than I imagined. And then he came up with the idea of, uh, I know how to please the king. The king likes money, right? So he said, why don't we just sell degrees, Cambridge <laughs> University degrees to people, and oh, we give all the I know. Come he hadn't on. heard of Trump University. <laughs> <laughs> and give all the money to the king. The king... I don't know what was going on with the king here, but king said that's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, despite loving the money, yeah, he and, could see that there and, was a flaw, and that was yeah, exactly, <laughs> and that was the the final nail. Oh no, uh, that sent him into uh, well the last stages of despair. Absolutely, to hang himself by what? his garters. by his garters. <laughs> apparently, maybe his mind was not right. Well, no, and he'd lost his faith, I believe, and then all this business with the king. It's enough to make anyone kill themselves. But there is, um, and this is more of a visual thing, but uh, if you know Cambridge, um, behind Corpus Christi, that alleyway down there, if you go down there, they do say that when they found his body, the only thing next to him was his trusty old dog that was uh, wouldn't leave his side. Oh, God. Uh, And if you look at the top uh, above you on Corpus Christi, there is a statue of... Dr. Butts's dog. Poor old Dr. Butts. But a stupid idea. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> he had a well, idea. No, he, he, had he was a... just about, you know, 500 years before his time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the university <clears throat> system was not yet considering people customers, as it is these days. Bit of politics. Or, do you want to do another one? Mine is about Abbey House. Okay. Do you know about Abbey House? Not too much because it's not because it's quite it's not far on the out trail. Of Cambridge. Yeah. It's not on the, trail. <laughs> it's not it's not, on the walking not what trail. The, uh, language school students wanted to see. Well, Abbey House is it is in Cambridge City, but it's yeah, it's not in the the historic centre. But it's more towards there's the old old bit of Cambridge where Stourbridge Common is, where they used to hold the most enormous market yes. in all of Europe. And this was um, not so much the university as the kind of historic Cambridge with the markets and the business, all that sort of thing. And there was a priory 
in that part of town, Barnwell Priory. And isn't Abbey... that part of town is called Abbey, isn't it? Isn't that why? The Abbey Ward. Yeah. Yes, and Barnwell is also a part. And then there's this house called Abbey House. So Abbey House was built where previously a priory stood, mm-hmm. Barnwell Priory, in the time of the dissolution of the monasteries, which was when Henry VIII took over the church and basically no one spoke for the Pope anymore and everyone had to say Henry VIII is the head of the church. And then he was like, oh, but I want all the riches from all the monasteries. So can you all, you know, dissolve your monasteries, give me everything. So Abbey Priory got swept up in all this and got turned over basically to the king. All the riches that they had got turned over, the priory got uh, knocked down. But on the grounds where it had been, Abbey House was built and some of the stones from the priory were built into the grounds and the wall has some of the old priory stones, I think. So the site has loads of history even before the um, the house was built. And the house, I do have dates. Around 1580, they built the Abbey House. Interesting. Oh. Because, I, d- I don't know if it is Abbey House, but I have read things about Jesus College and Jesus College used to be a nunnery. Yes. And there are stories about uh, there's always secret tunnels in Yes. Yeah, a secret tunnel does come up. Secret tunnel going towards a monastery or a priory. And I wonder if that's I never knew what the other one would be. It's the same. Because they said it was about a mile away, which would probably make sense. Yeah. But that's a long tunnel. Well, there's... (laughs) Who's dug that? (laughs) Same the Great Escape. Well, maybe... (laughs) I mean, apparently, there's secret tunnels, like, all everywhere under Cambridge, but I don't know how much truth there is, but going from one place to other places and all around. And yes, a secret tunnel does come up. So it does go... It would have been to that priory site. There we go. Um, And I think the nuns and the monks would... Sneak, yes, I and visit each other. Well. I, know, I know, visit very euphemistic. Yeah, <laughs> to trade honey and uh, mead. And it was um, the nunnery was you know where it's called Saint Radigand on the corner of King Street and Jesus Lane. Yes, there's Saint Radigand Church. Oh yeah, that's the like where the, the site where the nunnery after. was. Sorry. Yeah. Tell, tell me exactly. about pubs, not by church. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Abbey House was built on on the grounds of where this old priory had been. And it's been owned over the years by loads of different people. They've added like different bits to it. So it's quite, it's not really one thing I read described as a stately home, which I think is going a bit too far because it's not huge like a stately home. But it's, you know, it's quite grand and big. And it's got one of those like Dutch gabled fronts with, and it's all, it's quite interesting because it's all irregular shapes because it's been added to over the years, so it's not kind of perfectly symmetrical. It's all like weird little bits and pieces, which I always like in a house, I say, sitting in our house of square rooms (laughs) and straight lines. Um, And over the years, it's had loads of owners. On the subject of pubs, some of the names are familiar. Tommy Panton. Ah, the Panton Arms. Lady Guider. Oh, Guider Street. Yeah, that's not a pub, is it? (laughs) The Guider Arms. And uh, and (laughs) Joseph Sturton, again, that's a... A street, street. There yeah. So they're named after those local people. So it's very old. Loads of different people have lived there, and as we know, that is perfect for ghosts because lots of people probably died there as well. Vin I'm just wondering squeaking. what I need to do to get a street named after me. Um, but not a shit street. I want not a, good a shit one. one no, <laughs> I don't want a new build street. You know, also, or you know, a street on a development that you know removed the gravestones but not the graves. You know, <laughs> that's what I want. If you go in a gibbet, sometimes streets get named after people who've been put in gibbets to rot away. Oh, okay. Because they become kind of landmarks. I go on into the... a gibbet. That's, yeah. <laughs> I, when you said when you if you go into a gibbet, I was thinking like, is that like a cul-de-sac? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that what, where I'm going? If you're punished for some awful crime by being hung in a gibbet in the future. 
future. Doesn't happen a lot these days. Oh, no, it? not much. They not might much bring gibbeting. it in in the Brexit era. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, yeah, once, but once we've gone to martial law. Oh, God. So, one of such owners of the house is also now reported to haunt the house. His name was Jacob Butler, or Squire Butler to you. Butler Street. Squire doesn't exist. <laughs> um, and he inherited the house in 1714. He was quite a character from the sounds of it. One of the things that he did, which was a bit eccentric, was had his coffin built a long time before he died. <laughs> so he commissioned to have this coffin built out of oak, but it was really big for some reason. So he made them build. He was planning on eating a lot later. I don't in life. Know. <laughs> he built, made them build him like a huge coffin, it's which turn over in case you get uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> And he used to use it as a card table. So he used to turn it upside down and use it as a card table. But also, apparently, visitors to the house would come around for drinking parties and they'd, like, sit in the coffin or drinking, turn, or drinking wine. But you could fit a few in at once. Imagine if we had a coffin in our house, we'd be doing that. I just Don't imagine it, like, um, in, a, like, a hot tub where they're all sitting in the coffin with their wine, just swigging. For some reason, he <laughs> had that done. I like the fact that as soon as you said butler quite a character i just instantly went butler <laughs> you know a good f- fish shaking him, like you know running off with some stolen milk butler. or something like that um and he <clears throat> also um the Stourbridge fair was still going on and there was some old archaic law that if it hadn't been taken down by noon the day after the fair was finished basically it was free game and you could run a mock around it so he like drove his carriage through the because these stool holders hadn't packed away bang on for noon and like but was like <laughs> like smashing smashing crockery and just going crazy at the at the fair. So um he was a troublemaker from the sounds of I it. I like the sound of this yeah. butler. He's like very keen on law and order. Well maybe, but I don't think if you're keen on law and order you're getting everyone sitting in your coffin drinking no, wine before you're I dead. I find this very similar to Days at like Strawberry Fair and <laughs> the the big weekend they do on Parker's Peace that if the bars haven't turned off all their taps or closed the doors properly <laughs> at night, then it's free reign to go in. <laughs> no one could argue. It's just you have to have to make the most of it. So he left some instructions about what should happen to him after he died. He should go in his massive coffin. Yep. That was, I mean, that's key. <laughs> he hadn't had it built for nothing. So the instructions were he should be put into this huge coffin and then a carriage should drive him to the nearby church. And if they wouldn't let him into the, the graveyard, <laughs> the guy had to drive the wagon back and then they had to bury him in Abbey House in the grounds there. So he hadn't arranged it with the churchyard, it sounds like. He just said to this guy, you have to drive me with my two favourite horses pulling the wagon. Again, as with your story, it seems like there was quite a lot of debate. The people who were kind of... Um, Dealing with the estate, we're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is nonsense. <laughs> this huge coffin is ridiculous. So they did drive the coffin around a bit, but in the end, he just got interred in his family tomb. I think just <clears> in a normal sized coffin in the end, not even his, because it was too big. So, yeah, so I don't think the giant wine stained coffin got, um, got this in there. <laughs> it, was well. probably, it was probably soiled by that point. Very soiled after all those card games and uh, jacuzzi parties in it. <laughs> Don't think they put water in. So um, he uh, he died, but he didn't get put in his special coffin. So maybe that's why he was restless. And also, what which is sad. Again, thinking of dogs. Apparently, he died quite soon after his dog had died. And when the dog died, he is reported as having said, 
I shall not live long now. My dog is dead. And he was sad, so sad. Oh, the dog have like, you know, his pills or something, <laughs> his medication or something like that. <laughs> the dog was a St. Bernard. It was the only thing keeping him alive. Everyone misunderstood what he meant. <laughs> he is reported to haunt the house and also the little dog has been seen. He haunts the little dog. The dog <laughs> haunts the house as well. <laughs> they haunt together the house. Um, and I've seen a picture of him and he's really bulbous. Like he's got a big bulbous nose and his face is really craggy. So his his ghost has been seen um, over the years by many residents at different points in history. And I have a little description from a book called Haunted Gardens by scholar Peter Underwood. Scholar of the supernatural. It's a thing. A lanky overbearing figure in green thigh length coat with gold buttons and heavy cuffs a satin embroidered waistcoat, green wool breeches and black leather shoes with metal buckles. On his head, he wore a black felt tricorn hat with gold braid edge and he sported a long thin cane walking stick. It's very detailed, isn't it? Like quite the man about town. But I thought that's very detailed. And also, I've never seen a ghost, but I don't imagine them to be in colour. Do you... (laughs) Are they in colour? I suppose it, it could be that they appear just as though they're a human being. Yes. You don't know that they're a ghost necessarily. Yeah. I think it, but, but you know, in film, they're always sort of white. A bit transparent. And spectral. And this sounds like he's just striding around in his green coat with his gold buckles. Don't know. I just found it odd. Butler! <laughs> Butler! <laughs> uh, and also that the description says that he's overbearing. And then I thought, how is a ghost overbearing? Like, what's it doing that's so overbearing? Deforming. Oh, oh, not you again with your dog. But he's not the only one. Well, I mean, you wouldn't be calling it the most haunted house in Cambridge. I wouldn't. Just one. Just one. And a lot of the reporting of the strange sounds and sights at Abbey House comes from someone called Professor Lawson. He lived there in the very early 1900s for about eight years with his family. And they had all sorts going on. And him and his wife kept records of everything. And they wrote it all down. And they spoke a lot to scholars of the supernatural who would come to, you know, poke about the house. It was pre-nowadays, all the recording bits. Yeah, finding voices in yeah. background noise and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so it was just, they'd report it and then people would come and interview them about it and hope to see something, I'm sure. And the very first week that the Lawson family stayed in the house, they heard the first thing, the first sign that something was wrong. A tremendous banging at night. And they heard, don't laugh. <laughs> They heard uh, it sounded like it started at the top of the stairs, apparently. Bang, 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 bang. And then all down the stairs, bang, 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 bang. And they they thought the doors were going to like rattle off the hinges. It was so loud. The children were all screaming. The maid servants were all crying. And they were like, we will never work here again. We won't come back. We won't stay. Uh, And Professor Lawson told them all it was their dog because he didn't want them to leave. He said, don't worry, it's the dog. Making excuses for the ghosts. Yeah. Well, because he's. dog was it? Great Dane? Uh, (laughs) Apparently. You know more about dogs than me. It was a new Newfoundland. Oh, they are, they are, really big. Big. are they big? Yeah, yeah, okay, so he could They're legitimately like a massive yeah. Labrador. Okay, so maybe he could have legitimately thought it was. But to 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 interject, yes. here, just a very very quick dog story uh, regarding Cambridge. Did you know uh, Magdalen College has a dog cemetery? I did not. It has its own uh, pet cemetery for the dogs that the masters used to have. They uh, there's a whole cemetery there with uh, little gravestones. Yep. How, how are they spelling cemetery? <laughs> this being Cambridge, I imagine <laughs> the, the correct way. <laughs> Although, as we've 
discussed before, Maudlin is spelt oh, in yeah. a ludicrous yes, way. Exactly. So <laughs> you we can't should, trust yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, so Professor Lawson and his wife wrote down lots of details <laughs> of everything. And also it was the house was studied by someone called FJM Stratton, who was head of the Society for Psychical Research for a while, which is a Cambridge-based society, which again, we'll have to talk about one day. Is that Leckhampton? Yes, I think so. I think they were based at Leckhampton, which is attached to Corpus Christi. And he was president of the Society for Psychical Research in the 1950s. And he actually rented the house for a little while to see what he could find. And he had a huge file with all his, you know, findings and all reports from over the years from different people. So we have quite a lot of records of um, sightings and things. Over the following years, the Lawson family frequently heard other dubious noises usually in the night quite oh, often yeah. <laughs> quite often it Moaning. was footsteps <laughs> Some banging, <laughs> banging and moaning. <laughs> footsteps clattering around the house, heavy footsteps up and down the stairs again, going outside their bedroom and then they'd open the door and no one would be there. Weirdly, they saw spectral animals. So they saw not just Wolfie, who's the, sorry, I'll explain about Wolfie shortly, the dog, but also they saw, apparently there was a, a ghost of a red squirrel, which was quite <laughs> often sighted in the garden. <laughs> I mean, as a species, they are dying out. <laughs> And the red squirrel would always be seen, there's a wall, like a grey wall, and it would run along the grey wall and then jump down onto the ground and then just disappear. So they quite frequently saw the red squirrel. I have to say, in leading up to this, just this morning, I was doing a little bit of research and Abbey House came up and I was like, oh, it's far too much to... I don't know but I did catch one (laughs) tiny little sentence that said they've been haunted by several animals such as dogs and it listed some other animals you may mention and then at the end it said squirrel and that's when I just closed the internet (laughs) that's too much yeah I've never heard before of a squirrel haunting um, and also a hare would, oh, yeah. Mentioned the hare yeah, would be know. quite often seen. Um, apparently a lot of the time when it snowed, the hare would come. Not a rabbit. <laughs> uh, and silly old rabbits. The hare would be, appear in the snow and then disappear and then there'd be no tracks where the hare had sat. Just a, a pure snow. So they saw those quite a lot, apparently. I mean, there are worse things to be haunted by, aren't there? Yeah, Even sure. You know, I mean, Nothing terrifying about not, a squirrel, is they're there? They're not threatening, are they? <laughs> A squirrel and a hare. That would be quite fun, I think. It's like a shit fable, isn't it? <laughs> and again, I guess that they were just, they looked just like you were saying, maybe the ghosts just looked like actual people. Because otherwise you wouldn't know it was a red squirrel. Because it would just be. It's in colour. Yeah. It's in colour. So hang on then. So how are we determining it's actually a ghost? Because it disappeared. Uh, and it always what, did the up same the tree. thing. <laughs> like a... They do move fast, don't they, squirrels? <laughs> and it always did the same thing. They were convinced. Convinced it was a, it was a phantom, a phantom <laughs> squirrel. And then other people um, reported different things. A woman who lived there in 1920 said one night she woke up and there was a spectral female disembodied head. That's more like Classic, it. classic disembodied head work at the end of the bed. And then they would hear like clanking of chains. And when Stratton stayed there, he heard strange singing from empty rooms and mutterings and other strange sorts of noises. You're not, you don't accept this as ghostly behaviour. I always just wonder about these people that wake up in the middle of the night and and see things at the end of the bed. For one, I wear glasses and contact lenses (laughs) and can't see anything. If I get burgled, I am screwed. (laughs) What's getting in the middle of the night? Because I'll be wandering around the house. 
But also the like the lights, you can't just instantly flick on a light. Back no, in the that's but, true. You know, what, and in those days, there weren't were there street lamps? Was there residual yeah, light? Yeah. Well, when are we talking about? Twi- well, this is the 1900s. Yeah. So you would you would have had gas lights outside, wouldn't you? I reckon. Also, though, gaslight being the. Um, I remember once waking up in the night and I had the thing, the night terrors thing, which I know some people get loads and I'm very pleased I only had it once because it was really horrible. And I was convinced there was a figure next Mm. to the bed and it was awful. I like a dark figure. So, you know. You're not going around saying you've seen the ghost though. No, I'm not. But maybe if I was more inclined towards, I would in my mind think, oh, it's... And that's when you start going, oh, I'll look up the history of the house and maybe you find out something right. in, about the history of the house that kind of confirms to you that, oh, it was this... Oh, that dark shape was squirrel-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> it did have a big bushy tail. <laughs> I think I've had a night terror now. I never thought I had, but now you described it. Is that? I think I've had Yeah. That. And I was too scared to turn the light on. Because a looming figure. if I turned figure. the light on, it would become real. It would, yeah, confirm. <laughs> it would confirm there, there was nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's definitely being briefly in that period between being awake and being asleep, yeah. isn't it? Mm. And there's a strange period where you're neither one or the other, that you're very susceptible to yeah. ideas that there might be. And I think um, it's also to do with, because people say, it, like sleep paralysis, that they can't move. And that's, again, that's something to do with your body hasn't caught up with your brain being awake, so your body is immobile for just even a moment, but it feels like you're kind of paralysed. It's very horrible. I mean, that links into the whole alien abduction and Does alien it? Stuff. Well, that's, I mean, sleep paralysis is quite often given, isn't it, as the explanation for people who are... <laughs> Tell uh, that to having... Tom DeLong. <laughs> <laughs> He's not ploughing millions into alien abduction, Chris, just so you can dismiss it as night terrors. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Vin, you agree. So they're some kind of incidental ghosts almost, squirrels and hares and uh, disembodied heads. But the most famous ghosts of Abbey House are... We haven't got there yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I told you. There's all so many hauntings. A nun, a ghostly nun. Makes sense. Yes. Who travelled over from yes. Jesus. She's known as a grey lady, as many of them uh, are. are. Isn't it a grey lady of Girton? Yeah. There's grey ladies everywhere. She gets about. <laughs> <laughs> and this this nun, the Lawsons reported that there were the months during the time that they were in the house, in the months of February and March, they would see her as frequently as once a week. Was it a maid or something? <laughs> no. Regular cleaner. <laughs> and uh, they would see her quite often trailing about in the garden at night around the old stones of the priory that were in the garden. And it, she apparently was hesitant. So Squire Butler, overbearing in ghost form, and this nun, hesitant, a bit sad, I reckon. So the Lawson saw her frequently, but she was also being sighted uh, later in the 40s. The 60s, there were some sightings, so she's been seen a lot of times. Sometimes she comes into the house, more often than not in the garden. And the story about the nun is exactly as, as Jazz said, that she had sneaked from the church on Jesus Lane, sneak, sneak, sneak through the, through the tunnels a to meet. A mile of tunnel. A mile of tunnel, yeah. That's dedication. Sneak through there, probably just some kind of old... Because this would have been before Abbey House was even built, so this is back when the prior existed. So very dark, she must have just had a, like a, a little candle or something coming through the tunnel at night, excited because she's going to meet her monk, her <laughs> monk lover. <laughs> What an exciting journey, making the effort. Really, couldn't he have come to her? Well, maybe they did all turn at nights. Maybe they met in the middle. (laughs) 
Anyway, she would sneak to the uh, Priory and then the story goes that she was discovered sneaking and bricked up alive inside the tunnel. Exactly what should have happened. Buried alive for her (laughs) indiscretions, but I don't know. Obviously, we don't know if that's true. But there is in the cellar of Abbey House, apparently, there's an archway that has like a bricked up bit. So it does look like there's something that you used to be... Totally able one to way go there. to prove if this is right or not. Go down with a sledgehammer. Absolutely. <laughs> Smash your way through. Who owns Abbey House now? It's Buddhists. Private, private. Oh, really? Oh. For a, li- for a little while, the Folk Museum owned it, and then it was sold in 2002. So I don't know if we can ever go in. Probably not. But do you think they're getting haunted? They're probably very, very What do Buddhists they think? They think there's reincarnation. Does that leave space for ghosts? I finished my drink. Well, maybe it's time for another drink. Then. How are you guys doing? I finished ages ago. I'm getting... Oh, I'm actually halfway through that. But let... we, we can open more. We're back again. We're going to have our next drink. Justin, please explain your choice. Well, Ruth, I know that you're a uh, a friend of Wine Lads, or hashtag Wine Lads. Yep. I don't know if it's been mentioned on this before. No. No, it hasn't. I should do some cross-pollination. This might be the first recording we've done since you did it, is it? Yeah. Hashtag Wine Lads, have to get the hashtag in, is another podcast that two of our friends do, and I was a guest on it, and it was very good fun. And you were another guest. I was a guest last night. So exactly. you're just in the world of podcasts. I am a uh, two-nighter. <laughs> the, the dirty double, dirty double, as we used to call it when and, you went to the camba Friday and Saturday. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> all the memories. What was it called when you went on Thursday? Friday, uh, the terrible triple. Right. No one, no one did that, though, did they? Well, if it was the rock night on Thursday, then yes. Sometimes I did do the terrible triple. And if you went like for the full month, then <laughs> you just became a member. Yeah. <laughs> like, Got your oh. photo behind the, uh, behind the door. So, Wine Lads is, yes. is a situation where a podcast situation where you situation can, comedy where you can uh, you turn up and you bring a bottle of wine yes. and you don't really know much about it, but you drink wine and have a chat. Yeah. Pretend uh, you know a bit. We did this last night, uh, and I insisted we did box wine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we did goon bags of wine, and I thought I'd extend this a bit more. Great. I haven't and, seen a box of wine in, in many but, years. And, and I bought a goon bag of wine, and I bought 19 crimes. Okay. And I don't know if you've had this before, but the reason I bought this, and this is more of an audio thing than a visual thing. Uh, well, no, actually, it's more of a visual thing than an audio <laughs> thing. Let's just fix that. But this box is very special and the wine labels are very special because if you take your phone and you, <gasps> let me find the app. Does it turn you into a, let's a criminal? A, let's have a look. Can you see? See my phone? Convicted of crime being here. This man, the hangman, is banished to Australia. Oh my God. The box is talking. <laughs> And then he shuts up again. That's Ooh. really scary. <laughs> but it's a talking box of wine. You hold so, your phone over the box and it makes the man on the box talk. I know. And the whole That's th- really I don't I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> how good is that? I thought oh, that no. would be spot on. So are there boxes with different people and they have different I think so. stories? I like th- them all. Well, they're normally a bottle of wine. Yeah, Um, okay. But this is the box. But what I like about this, as I was reading this, uh, as you popped to the loo earlier, (laughs) says 19 crimes, each declared by His Majesty to be punishable on conviction by transportation. So shipped Mm. off to Australia, basically. But on the side, this is what made me laugh. 
A red blend bears the same traits as those transported to Australia. <laughs> Defiant in nature. Always uncompromising. Mm. Bold in character. <laughs> Two bottles in a pack. <laughs> I'm not sure we should be making the people who were transported into some kind of heroes. Is that two bottles in there? Well, apparently it's two bottles. You Normally in a good bag you? you get three. Yeah. But apparently this is premium wine. <laughs> so only... <laughs> so we're only getting two. Um, Cheers. But anyway, Thank yeah. you. Let's move on to the wine. Let's cheers. have the wine. I feel like it could be the same description as our porter bottle. Fruity red deep. Mm. Two bottles. <laughs> <Back>. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, two bottles of Two back. bottles. Mm. I have to say, I'm not a wine drinker at all. And when I, especially not red, red wine really doesn't sit well with me. But <laughs> You've got two bottles but, of it down there. But, but when I saw this pack <laughs> and I knew what that baby could do. So is that the same one from last night or a new one? That's a new one. Okay, just a little tiny bit more about Abbey House because we haven't heard about the hairy monster yet. <laughs> we've heard about Squire Butler and we've yeah. heard about the nun, but not the... And the squirrel. And the squirrel. <laughs> There's more hairy monsters to come. (laughs) Usually it was the children who would see the furry creature. They said they would see a small furry brown creature in their room, a bit like a a rabbit, but bigger and with short ears. And it would scurry on its hind legs around the bedroom of the children. That's a chinchilla. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you now. Um, And they called it Wolfie. Chinchillas are wolf coloured. <laughs> but so they saw this in around 1903 to 1911, the Lawson children. And then there were further reports in the 20s and in the 40s of children seeing scurrying brown fairy creatures. One theory is that it was the dog of Squire Butler who apparently he had taught the dog to walk on its hind legs. Can that happen? I'm looking at you because you know about dogs, Jazz. Could you I've teach your dog dogs. to walk on its hind legs? I've seen dogs. I think Britain's got talent. <laughs> Famous walking on its hind legs dog once. I can't remember what it's called, but did that. So one of the suggestions is it's the ghost. So it's like, no, it's not a new ghost. Right. It's just this same ghost that's already been seen. Manifested in a slightly different way. Yeah, but I don't know. But it's interesting that only children see this brown scurrying fairy ghost isn't it they see what they want to see but they did see the nun as well they didn't like her there's been quite a lot of interest in abbey house over the years and apparently someone quite well i'd say in the last 30 years or so tracked down the lawson children they were very old by now to ask them and they said they didn't have any memories of any of the stuff that their parents had written but they also said that they didn't think that their parents would have made things up so they were like, we don't remember seeing a scurrying brown <laughs> creature. I mean, that's but... the kind of thing that stays with you, surely. <laughs> I don't know, but maybe you block it out because it's too traumatic. It sounds quite fun. Well, Jeez. if they're calling it Wolfie, they're obviously, they're not that alarmed. They're like, oh, Wolfie's here again. Maybe Wolfie doesn't exist unless they remember him. Maybe. But then a little boy called Christopher saw Wolfie in 1947. So, But he doesn't call him Wolfie. 1980, 47. <laughs> 1980, <laughs> The future. <laughs> so Abbey House has all sorts going on. Squire Butler, mysterious animals. Is, is Abbey House on Newmark? I'm just trying to wonder where we actually It's is. on Abbey Road. Abbey. We should try and get in. Not illegally. The Buddhists are probably fending off. Uh, I bet they are, yeah. Inquiries on a daily basis from Yvette Fielding. um... (laughs) Jack Osborne, he does one now. (laughs) A ghost programme. We saw a tiny bit of it once. I mean, it's the same as all of the others. Like, it's dark and they have those um, infrared cameras. cameras. There's there's a a slight noise off camera and everyone goes, oh, shit! (laughs) Jack Osborne screams. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, I'd like to know what the Buddhists make of it. Have they seen anything? We don't know. Would them admitting to having seen anything actually make a mockery of their belief? And therefore, even if they had seen anything, they wouldn't tell you. That's a big question. I'm on for a scholar of religion. <laughs> I don't know. Not a scholar of the paranormal. Not a, or a scholar of the half-assed podcast about <laughs> <laughs> different things. But scholars of the supernatural and things. Yeah. Would you? Uh, this may lead me on to another <laughs> another area. Um, have you discussed about the Ghost Club of? Of Cambridge. Is no, this the same as the Society for Psychical Research? Probably, probably. But the Ghost Club was formed like years and years ago, and apparently it was the the first. Let's let's go with the 18th century, <laughs> as I like. To, let's just stab a date I in li- the dark. As I like to go. No, and it was formed um, basically to try and prove, you know, supernatural events and things like that because apparently there's a lot of them popping yes. up and all that but the thing that I, I i don't know too much about them apart from se- they've had several famous members and this is what mm. this is what i find really interesting is is uh mr james was a mm-hmm. uh, was a member charles dickens was a member right as well as uh arthur conan doyle and if you think about it um and what they've done especially like charles dickens wrote uh christmas carol yeah which famously featured ghosts. Yes. Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Hounds of the Baskervilles, which you could take from Black Shock. Yeah, I guess. absolutely. He, he was a strong believer in the supernatural as well, yeah. wasn't he? Because he was, I remember the, uh, you know, the Cottingley fairies. Oh, yes. Those two girls okay. yeah. Grew, and he was taken by that completely yeah, yeah, and was yeah, like advocating yeah. for it being like, you know, evidence of the existence of fairies and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I love that. I love that idea. And M.R. James, of course. With they his... invented the modern horror story, those guys, between yeah. them. Sort of, and Bram Stoker. Let's not worry about him, though. (laughs) It's interesting about Cambridge because I think it's so known for the sort of intellectual side and science and all that sort of thing. But actually, there's all this other different history to it, which is really interesting. I mean, Chris, earlier you said about the the optics, you know, your eyes seeing different things. And there's another story from Magdalen College of a professor seeing, uh, walking into the garden one night. Uh, I believe he saw a barn owl or something like that. So he went to get a closer look, and he looked down. Uh, if you, if Magdalen College is on the river, yeah, river banks, and he looked down the garden of it, which goes alongside the river, and he saw a shape running towards him. And uh, as it got closer, he noticed that it should be running on stony ground, basically mm. where you would hear somebody running on. Yeah. and there was no noise to it. He looked down closer, noticed it was more of a top half rather than a <laughs> bottom half. And then disappeared behind a tree uh, and never did that. And the ghost club apparently got involved with that as well. And they believed that it quite possibly could have been a ghost. Yeah. And the reason that he saw it was because it was close to water. And the water vapours can help optics. And your oh. eye, you know, make things, uh, you know, just the, the light spectrum and things like that. So, I'm no scientist. I don't so know. So did they, <laughs> is, but... they did believe that ghosts existed and that think... in, cer- in certain conditions you were more able to see them? I would say yeah. yes. Or they wouldn't have made a whole society, would they? No. It's, I mean, I made societies like this when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Your detective club. Detective club, yeah. I'm pretty sure there was a ghost club as well at one point. Collected three packets from a cereal and uh, barcodes and, uh, and sent them off. And I got a special decoder ring. Absolutely. But you weren't in a club with Charles Dickens. <laughs> no. I'd say that lends it an air of legitimacy. Do you have another story for us? I, could, I, could, I, I mentioned a couple to you in, yeah. in, in my message and then realised there was not a lot of substance to any That's of them. That's fine. Just so, quick ones. So like a quick fire round would be yeah. the... 
the lions of Fitzwilliam Museum, yep. who apparently come to life at midnight. Uh, and they, they leap down and they drink from the gutters of uh, Hobson's Conduit. Yes. Because the gutters are very wide, aren't they? They are very wide. If you don't live in Cambridge, these are... Uh, you've never seen gutters like that. I know, I know, I know <laughs> someone that uh, totaled their car on those gutters. So, uh, that's an indication of how wide. Yeah, they, exactly, and they're deep. Yeah, they're but deep. the the Fitzwilliam Museum is the biggest of the Cambridge museums and is very. It's in like neoclassical style, so it's got this huge portico, similar to the British Museum, but not as grand and impressive. But it's got uh, stone lions that flank the entrance, and I think is one is like sleeping, and the other one is. Alert. I like those lions because I used to sit and eat my lunch sometimes next to those lions when I was working in the shop at the Fitzwilliam. But I never saw them drinking out of the gutter. Uh, Okay, another quick fire one. Another quick fire one. Let's talk about the Eagle Pub. Okay. The Eagle Pub has a open window. You go inside to the courtyard. (laughs) (laughs) Very spooky. (laughs) Uh, Has an open window and apparently, according to law and to legend, it is written in the contract of any landlord or owner who takes upon that building, that that window must forever be open. It's in fact nailed open. And if it ever to be closed, some spooky shit will start going (laughs) down. And this is mainly down to the belief that uh, hundreds of years ago, it's one of the, if not the oldest pub in Cambridge, I think, in the 1500s. And it would have been like a coach house, wouldn't it? It I was think. a coach yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe apparently hundreds of years ago, there was a fire within the in the place. Two little girls were trapped upstairs. They tried to get out, but they couldn't open the window and they burnt to death. Sizzled. So that window stays open now. I mean, you know, 100 years too late. <laughs> but, but that's it's never going to happen again. That's what happens. And do they haunt? Or do you, if the window if gets, they close it, if they the will window haunt. gets closed, apparently, then uh, there's the smell of smoke starts to appear. Oh. Uh, could you, they, they do have a kitchen? <laughs> could possibly be a thing, and then some banging and shit goes right, on. Right, so, classic uh, banging, yeah. <laughs> classic ghostly banging. <laughs> um, I love the story of Charles Wordsworth, who was the master of Trinity College, mm-hmm. and uh, also the brother of William. And one night he heard some banging at the front door. And this is this is in the days when the masters would open their own front doors. Uh, he trotted <laughs> off to the entrance and there was a uh, a student there, uh, cold and shivering. And uh, he said, can I help you? And he said, oh, I've, I've been lost. I'm meant to be starting at the college. It's taken me so long to get here. It's supposed to be starting. Can I come in? He said, yeah, yeah, bring him in. Yes, please, do come in. He, he brought him in. He showed him to his room and he said, it's really late. Here's a bed for you for the night lay down and then come come join me for breakfast tomorrow and we'll discuss your your studies and how mm. we can how how you can continue at trinity that happened he closed the door went downstairs carried on the next morning wordsworth's there having his breakfast he sees a student come down come 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 join me for some breakfast have some eggs and uh and he sat down and he, he the student looked very pale and uh Tired, tired eyes. He said, uh, you, you know, so how was your night? Did you sleep well? And he said, no, no, sir. I slept absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. And he said, why is that? And he said, well, you closed the door. I got into my bed. I, t- I turned the lights out. And then, like, within five minutes, I heard a banging. And I heard a scraping across the floor. And I, I lit my candle next to me. I'm out. Can't remember the years. This is what We're in candle times. There's, there's a candle sign going there, and he noticed a chair uh, had been dragged into the Ooh. center of the floor. 
And things like this happened yeah. throughout the night, up to a point where one time he opened his eyes and it could possibly be night terrors, but there was somebody stood above <sighs> stood above his bed looking down on him. And I'm imagining he did what any sane person would do, pull the covers over <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretended it Just wasn't hid. happening. Just and, hid. And imagine it, didn't he? If I can't see them, they can't see me. So he told this story, imagining Wordsworth to sort of brush it off. But this huge smile just came across Wordsworth's face. And he said, what, why, why did you find this funny? Why are you that? And he said, I've heard stories for ages about this room being haunted. He said, and I really wanted proof. If I'd put anybody else in it from this college, they, they already know about it. He set him up. He set him up. Oh, what a swine. <laughs> he set him up. But still, um, categoric proof. Categoric <laughs> proof. <laughs> <laughs> He had a thesis to Ooh, complete. <laughs> I don't like. Um, I don't like the scraping. I think of all the noises you could hear. A chair, like chair. a scraping noise, would be really horrible. Well, it's like the noise that sets your teeth on edge. Isn't yeah, because it? it also scraping. It's like something's coming closer. Scraping oh, closer, closer. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like that. Not yeah, one bit. But my, uh, I did say to you, Ruth. I said I had another story that was a personal one. You did, or a friend's friend's tale. Yeah. So nothing historic as such but something that was tied to a friend and i and this still this this freaks me out slightly and i don't believe in it in this kind of stuff but i do love a good tale this is a friend you might know him but uh, i won't mention any no. names but he lived just outside of cambridge with his wife and his son and his wife and he, himself noticed in they rented a house they noticed on several occasions that out the corner of their eye or something, they would notice a, a figure move mm. or normally running up the stairs. And they they worked out, they never talked about it between themselves or heard a laugh or something like that. And it was always uh, the shape of a little girl or something. It's something quite small, yeah. like, you know, something really creepy. <laughs> something, something that's really Doesn't get much creepier than a little girl. And, and it wasn't until they, they started like mentioning, like, oh, you know, you know what I think I saw... And they, they both agreed to each other's story. And then one night they were there and um, they were just watching TV. And then their um, their son uh, was asleep upstairs, just started crying out. And uh, so they went upstairs to go checking him out. And they said, what, what's up? And they said, he said, there was a little girl sat at the end of my bed. Uh, <laughs> so okay? Don't like it. <laughs> and they, they said, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's fine. You know, probably your imagination, yeah. and he, and he was he was in hysterics and all that, and he said, no, 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 there was more to it than that. He said she was trying to uh, take my eyes, oh, God. <laughs> no, away from me, which which obviously struck some oh, some kind of alarm bells. Anyway, they they calmed him down, said it's it's just your imagination, and all this. And then uh, a few months later, the landlord of the house popped around mm. and they, they sat down there just for a chat or maybe to renew contracts. I don't know the details. <laughs> and um, they were having a chat and they were just talking about things about the house. And, and they happened to mention, they were like, oh, we keep on thinking we see, uh, you know, someone out the corner of our eye. And he sort of, the like, landlord leant back and laughed a bit. And, uh, you know, oh, is that a little girl? Wordsworth style. Wordsworth <laughs> style. Is that a little girl? Yeah. And they were like, yes, of course. And they, he said, yeah, no previous tenants have, have suggested they've seen things like this <sighs> and see. all that. And then out of nowhere, he just said, he said, oh, yeah, the strange thing is, is that uh, apparently she has a thing for eyes. Uh, <laughs> oh, that. that must have been. Which really, they don't live so there So freaky. Now. They don't live there <laughs> they, they pack their bags that Oh, way. yeah, absolutely, you know. <laughs> Can we do one more drink? 
of very distance. intriguing. Uh, can I ask what it is? You can ask. Do I get told? I'll tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's blue car- caracha. Is that how you say it? You know that blue one, Curacao. Blue, the blue one. I'm just going to look at you. It's blue. Yeah. It's blue, and then it's also got cherry brandy in it. Okay. And then it's got... What's the marbling effect? That's magic litter. (laughs) (laughs) Edible, edible, mind you, to give it a witchy, a kind of witchy potion for Halloween. Is it magic because it's edible, or is there something else that's... (laughs) Because I'm happy if it's just edible. It's it's edible. I mean, maybe it will have a different effect that we don't know about yet. Corpse reanimation. Yeah, and and the the golden that's, crown. That's uh, just sugar, but made orange for Halloween. So <laughs> cheers, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> but it's like a potion, a weird potion. It is. You it's see, very, uh, yeah, no, it's it's potiony. I mean, it's no talking box of wine, but. <laughs> <laughs> so we will finish with this weird blue potion with strange stuff in. Oh, I like it though. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just different kinds of booze in there. A bit of lemon juice. To try and take the edge off the sweetness of it. Now, the only last thing that I have to tell you is about a ghost that has been sighted around Cambridge, but especially on Newmarket Road, and it resembles a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> a waddling <What>? penguin! <laughs> like um, a kind of squat, penguin-shaped figure that people... So, have... Sorry, are you saying it's a ghost that looks like a penguin, i.e. it's the ghost of a penguin, or it's a ghost that has a form and a shape that is in somewhat reminiscent of a penguin? Well, I think the second one, because okay. let's think about it logically. In this country. Yeah, why would a penguin be in Cambridge? Why would a penguin's ghost be in Cambridge? The uh, Pope Scott Polar? <laughs> have you got any more to this story? Well... That... <laughs> 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 only, though, only that one of the theories attached to the the waddling penguin creature is that it may in fact have been a plague doctor Ah, because they have used to wear those masks that look like big beaks this this i have to admit yeah while doing research for this (laughs) i did read about this penguin yesterday and hence hence me asking the thing and but instantly when i read about the plague mask thing i was like how tall was this penguin? <laughs> it, was like... it was a people were smaller in the old days. <laughs> <laughs> so if it was a plague doctor, they were smaller. I've yeah. been to Pompeii. Those um are you thinking like doorways a, are very small. Danny DeVito esque. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the penguin. <laughs> oh no, he was the penguin. Yeah. He was yeah. the penguin, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I like the <laughs> idea. The plague doctor. That just that well, I quite like the idea that it's just the ghost of a penguin that for some reason has found its way to Cambridge and is waddling around the streets. I don't suppose the answer's yes, given what you guys have said earlier, but have you ever had a, a supernatural experience that you've thought, oh, maybe something strange going on i've certainly had something strange and it probably in retrospect and the more i think about it it's got a perfectly valid explanation towards it but i do remember and it sounds a bit like stand by me when i uh i grew up i grew up in a military family and we moved around a lot and uh for a long period of my youth i lived in anglesey in wales hence your brilliant welsh accent oh My Tom Jones. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it was, you know, it was the 80s. It was summer holidays or Saturdays. You were basically told by your parents, like, you know, you had breakfast, you were kicked out of the house and you were expected back at dinner time. And that was it. So there was a lot of exploring to do. And there was lots of barren 
areas mm-hmm. and, and uh, woodland areas to walk around. And there was one time we were walking around, there was a group of us, four friends, we were walking around this large sort of area of woodland and unurban areas. And as we were walking, I kept on hearing my, what I thought was my name being shouted at. And I kept on looking around, couldn't see anything, looked around again, thought I saw something in the trees, you know, beyond that kind of thing. Started walking towards it with one of my friends, other friends stayed. And as we got closer, suddenly a figure came running out, running towards us. He was seemed to be in a balaclava, uh, dressed up, just God. charging towards us. Uh, we just turned around the other way and legged it completely. And as he was chasing us, he sort of ran behind some rocks and some trees and completely disappeared. And that was the last we saw of it from that. How old are you then? I would probably say about 11 or 11. <laughs> 10 or 11. You know, I'm saying this classic stand by me. Which at the time, it completely freaked us yeah. all out, you know. In retrospect, it's probably some older... Just, just the big not, lads having a lot. one of the big boys. <laughs> you know, who'd, like, I, I grew up on a military base. He just borrowed his dad's balaclava. Yeah, everyone had a balaclava. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone had a balaclava. And decided just to freak some kids out, <laughs> which he totally succeeded at, because I'm talking about it I mean, 34 years later. <laughs> you know? In a way, if that happened, you'd think, I'd rather that was a ghost than a child killer. <laughs> Wouldn't you? If Peter, someone runs at you, it's a balaclava. It didn't exist. It didn't exist in the eighties. <laughs> it was quite clear. It was quite clear. If you, you know how we were let out of our houses, as I said. <laughs> oh, that sounds actually quite scary, though. I'd be scared. But yeah, no. From a, from a ghost spectral point of view, don't think. No. No. Chris, no. you're so rational, though. <laughs> the, the closest thing I found to anything like that was when I was a student, and it was the end of our first year. I was living in Halls of Residence, and there were only a few of us left. Like People had started to go home for the uh, the summer break, and we would just sit in our kitchen in our Halls of Residence, having some drinks on the final evening kind of thing, and I think I saw ball lightning, basically, which Ooh. is like a... A phenomena. Yeah, an unexplained phenomena, which was it manifests itself like a small like zap of lightning, yeah. a crack of light. Literally just in our kitchen. Really? Um, and now, I mean, it's one of those things that, like, at the time, we were just like, what the hell was that? And subsequently, I don't think I've processed it in a way that has made it seem... Do you remember it clearly? I do remember it clearly, but I, what now looking back at it, it seems much stranger than it seemed at the time, which makes me wonder whether... How drunk you were. Partially that. <laughs> But it was definitely something. Yeah. And it was definitely a, like a flash of light just in midair in the room. That's and this was strange. like, it would have been like end of term, so like a June kind of time. So it would have been maybe a, you know, a hot, a yeah. hot evening. Potentially there could have been a kind of like thunderous atmosphere. But, but not inside. Well, we were sitting by an open window. This is odd. Anyway, so not, not I ghosts, but. I want to know more. Well, that's all there is to it. There's no more. Sorry. I'd love to say there was more to it than that. I need to corroborate. The witness statements. Okay. Well, I'll try and track down the people that I lived with at university. In- so interestingly you know. enough, me and my wife, on our honeymoon, we drove across uh, America. You did Route 66, did didn't you? Yeah. And we stayed at this famous motel called the Munga Moss Hotel. And this is about three nights in. And we parked up. We hadn't booked a room. We just turned up saying, oh, can we book a she said, yeah, 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 go park up and then come back and pay for it. I was like, yeah, brilliant. Here's the key. It was very trusting. So uh, we did that. We we got into the room, did all the stuff. And then I um, I said, I'll go I'll go pay for the room. So I walked back. I, I'd been doing all the driving. I was very tired. So I went back, paid for the room, 
got back to the room and my wife Gemma was just uh, there, like frozen in the corner. She's going, we can't stay here. <laughs> and I was like, what's that? I've just paid for the bloody room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought, I'm, re- I'm pretty sure we can. I'm really tired <laughs> and all that. And uh, she was taking a photo of the room and she said she saw some ball, uh, like a ball lightning really? going across. Uh, across the room, she said, this room's haunted, I can't stay here. <laughs> I was like, well, we, we are. <laughs> and uh, and all that. And it was one of our, she posted it up at the time on, on Facebook, and it was one of our photography friends said it was, it's a known thing in photography that sometimes light catches on digital films. And, and when you're taking a photo, you can see right. something something happens when, when it was, you know, it could could be proof of ghosts, but <laughs> photographers seem to think it's maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's similar to it's like the Northern Lights, the way yeah. the Northern Lights appear on film or like photos through yeah. photo lenses. It's exactly. very different to seeing them in real. I was so disappointed when I found that out right. that to see the Northern Lights with the colours, it's through you have to see it through a camera lens, don't you? Like they don't have colours if you see them in the I sky. Think, uh, not not as vivid, I think. Yeah. Happy Halloween, everyone! I hope you have had a suitably spooky time. And have experienced some ghosts if you'd like to, and not if you wouldn't like to. Thank you very much, Justin, for coming to see us. My absolute pleasure. Thank and you your me. and your lovely contributions. Thanks, Chris. It's all right as ever. <laughs> Thanks, Vin. Okay, well, come and find us on Instagram. Ruth underscore is underscore stranger, and uh, have a look at the web page. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.